0: Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. We finished that series last week on, um, too much flesh, uh, talking about unholy alliances. And if you've not been here, those are available in the bookstore or you can listen uh, online to those. But actually this message tonight probably could be a result of, um, unholy alliances. And, uh, as I was preparing that message, God just began to speak to me about the blame game. Everybody say the blame game. <laughs> oh, you're gonna love this one, aren't you? Yeah, I can tell. See, <laughs> I tell you, he just goes from glory to glory. But uh, I was in uh, my this, the Confident Woman by Joyce Meyer, and and uh, I had been looking at some situations. How many of you have ever said, Well, you know, I could have done that if it weren't for so and so or something or someone, now probably none of you have ever said that, but I have said in my life, well, you know, if only they would have done this, or if only someone would have made a better attempt, uh, we probably could have done that, you know, and what I did, God began to speak to me was that anytime we get into blame, that we, we stop progress, everybody say stop progress, we stopped progress, and uh, I was raised in a house where we had one bathroom when I was growing up, and uh, I, I really am that old where, you know, when I was first growing up, there was an outhouse, so I've experienced all modern plumbing and enjoyed every minute of it, not looking forward to going back, but, you know, in in the day that we went to one bathroom, there were four children. And uh, my dad used to say to us girls, when we'd be in the bathroom, he'd bound on the door and say, you girls are holding up progress. And uh, because he couldn't get in the bathroom. Well, you know, I think that that God was saying to me, and, and I heard it very clearly, blame stops progress in your life. It causes us to start looking at other people to do what they should do. And we stop doing what we need to do. And, in that process, we stop what God wants to carry on through our life and so, I want to show you this tonight we 're going to talk a little bit about uh Adam and Eve you know of course they they played the blame game and uh, and ended up we all are suffering today because of that that decision that they made because it allowed sin to take dominion in the earth. But I want to read to you what, what really, uh, when I read this, that Joyce Meyer wrote really brought it to my attention. It's Genesis three, 12 and 13. It says, and the man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree. This is the amplified. And I ate And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled, cheated, outwitted, and deceived me, and I ate. Everybody say the blame game. Adam blamed her. She blamed the devil. The devil blamed God and said, you know, did God really say that? You know, like that wouldn't really be what God would say. And so in that blame game, of course, we know, you know, sin entered the earth. And this is just her her take on that. She said, Satan tempted Eve initially and then used her to tempt Adam and women have been have gotten a bad rap ever since. Now, I'm reading this so you don't think because I'm a woman, I'm preaching tonight. I'm taking the woman's side. This is Joyce Meyer. They say, Joyce Meyer. You all like her, don't you? I mean, she's a good Bible teacher. Okay, I happen to be in agreement with her, but this is what she says. I believe Adam should have stepped up to the plate and refused to do what Eve was tempting him to do. Instead of doing it and then blaming her for the mess they were in. After all, God did create Adam first, and it was to Adam that he gave the command not to eat the fruit. I am sure Adam told Eve about God's command, but it certainly was not her fault that he didn't use discipline when temptation came. Actually, the Bible states that sin came into the world through one man, Adam. It doesn't say anything about Eve. And I'm going to go through those scriptures with you. But let's go back to the beginning of the story. And let's read Genesis 3, 1 through 12. And it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, everybody say, she knew. See, my husband always says that cannot be true. She's deceived. To be deceived means you do not know. I do not know how to debate that. I just know that that's what Paul says in First Timothy, that Adam was not deceived and Eve was. But clearly she knew what God said because she says, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said... You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate, and she also... Gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so he said, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And Adam's excuse was, then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. It doesn't say she tied me down to a stake. She shoved the fruit down my throat and I am so sorry that I did that. Did he say that? No, he just, you know, immediately. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Well, you know, I don't know about the word that she was deceived, but I do know this. Both people knew and both, both people chose to blame. Someone other than taking responsibility for their actions, and the result of that was that sin had dominion over the earth, and today. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ do we have victory in the earth because the enemy is still seeking whom he may devour. He still is going about as a roaring lion, and he is still lying and deceiving people and even causing people who know the truth to not live the truth. So this is a major problem. And when we get into blame, we divert ourselves from freedom. We actually step aside, put ourselves in a position of being in bondage to what we're blaming someone else for. And I want to read to you this is what God said to Adam in uh, Genesis 2. He said, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. I remember when we were in Tulsa and we had uh, a Bible school there, and one of the teachers said, You know, he was in charge of the garden. To tend and keep means to watch over and make sure that nothing gets into the garden. So the question always out there was, how did the devil even get in the garden? If Adam was watching and guarding the garden, how to get through in the first place? And I I think that's a, a good question. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, in Romans chapter eight, it talks about how by one man's offense, sin took dominion in the earth. But through through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of grace was released into the earth. Do you know God is so good that even when we do make a mistake, he always makes a way for us. In the midst of that mistake. And even here in the garden, it says in Genesis uh, chapter three, if you go to the very end of that chapter, it says in verse 21, um, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Everybody say clothe them. And that has to do with covenant that says God shed the blood of an animal because blood had to be shed to take care of sin. Now, in this case, it was the blood of an animal, but because God loved them, even though they blamed each other, even though they were disobedient to God in God's mercy, everybody say in God's mercy, in God's mercy, he still took care of them and he clothed them with those animal skins. And what he basically did was he made a covenant with them that he would still take care of them, even though he had to put them out of the garden, that he would still take care of them. And eventually he would send his son to deliver them. But for all of us who are saved, we can participate in the same game that Adam and Eve played every day if we make the wrong choice. If we choose to look at something that has happened to us, something we have done to somebody else, Uh, and I know there are things that in people's lives, I counsel people, and there's times we go back and we look at things in people's lives, horrible things that have happened to young people that at the time they couldn't tell anybody. And as they grow up, those things have to be taken care of. But if they continue to blame, everybody say continue to blame, their progress to go forward will be stopped and they will never be free. So I want to look at this tonight and I want to give you a different story of of a situation with Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph. How many of you in here know the story of Joseph? You know, uh, if you look at Genesis and you look at chapter uh, 37, I believe God spoke to me when, he, when I was praying about this message and when this came up today, that there would be people here tonight that he wanted to set free that seem to be uh, not, not getting the freedom that they are confessing, not getting the freedom that they feel like God has promised them. But it's because of this very thing called blame. Everybody say blame. And so as we look at this, I'm, I'm praying that the Holy spirit will quicken us in my life. God showed me two areas where I was believing in my heart that I couldn't do what God told me to do different situations where it was because of blame. Everybody say blame. And, and what it does is it stops you from ever going down that road. There are people, God told me that are stopped and in park because they've blame someone and they stopped even considering going down that road anymore because of the blame that they had for somebody and they never resolved that blame. And so tonight, everybody say this, I have ears to hear what the spirit is saying to me. And uh, there are are people trapped in, in these places and there's many things that God still wants them to do, but they will not even progress in that path because of the blame they have focused on someone. And so let's look at Joseph. It says in uh, Genesis 37 that God gave him a dream in uh, chap- in verse 5 of 37. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Joseph's brothers already didn't like him because they thought his father favored him. And, uh, and so they blamed Joseph for for their problem, that it was because of Joseph, because their father loved Joseph more. And uh, he told his dream to his brothers. Then he told his dream to his father. And and the long story short was that everybody would bow down to him. And, uh, and, and they didn't like that story. Even his father uh, wasn't really excited about that dream. But it says his brothers envy him in verse 11, but his father kept the matter in mind. So his father didn't get in a position necessarily of blame, but his brothers blamed him. And the way we know they did was when Joseph was sent to them to come to them for his father, because they blamed him for the fact that his father loved him most, they actually took him and threw him in a pit. Now, he has the opportunity at this point to play the blame game with his brothers. He's in a pit, but it, but in the end, he gets up out of the pit. And then they sell him to traders and take him off to Egypt. It never says that he says anything bad about his brothers. It just says that everywhere he ends up, he continues to prosper. Well, you know, you won't prosper if you get in the blame game. You will not find favor with God. You will not find favor with man. You will end up in a place where you find no blessing because blame is is actually sin. It actually becomes sin because it gets you in a place of unforgiveness and not letting people go for the things that have happened in your life and everybody say that's sin. See, and sin it, whether you're justified in the reason that you feel that way or not, still the wages of sin are death. And so when you play that game, you put yourself in that position to have sin captivate and hold you just like the other person may be totally at fault in this situation that and it may be truth that what you say, or what I would say is true that this person did do this. However, focusing on that thing and blaming that person holds you in that place again, where you cannot be free to pursue whatever it is that God's called you to pursue. Joseph continued, even in the place of what we would consider getting a raw deal, how many of you think that that would be a raw deal? I mean, in the end, he ended up in Pharaoh's house. Now, that was working well for him till he ran into Pharaoh's wife. And then Pharaoh's wife, because she couldn't get him to sleep with her, ends up blaming him and he ends up in prison. But I know that he did not blame anybody because it says in the prison. In verse uh, 23 of 39, actually in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not even look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Everybody say, don't play the blame game. See, he didn't play that. He didn't. He didn't. He continued wherever he found himself. We know that he continued to do what was ever before him, and I know that there are people um, in counseling with people that uh, when when I'm talking with them, uh, God has shown me that when you talk with someone who's gotten locked up in this blame game, no matter how far you get them down the road. They eventually, somewhere in the conversation, will go all the way back to where that was. They'll bring it up again. And, and and you can find out where it is because they'll start talking about all these other things. And then suddenly, they'll start talking again about this place over here. And it's a place where that blame has justified in their mind why all these things have happened to them. And that is a lie. Everybody say, that's a lie. See, that's a lie. The lie is that the devil, who is the father of lies, has held them in bondage because of their blame and has used their sin to nullify the things in their life that God wants to do. Are you getting this? See, this makes you come to a place or made me come to a place in my life where I said that is enough. You know, me blaming other people for why I'm where I am is not allowing me to ever go forward. And it's true, sometimes the other person goes forward. However, in some situations, neither person goes forward because those are spirits. And those spirits get in a relationship in the realm of evil, and both people are locked up, and nobody gets free. Nobody gets free. God specifically said to me about one situation that I've been praying about, in a situation where I see people locked up and it's you know, sometimes if you get hurt in the church, that's probably one of the worst. And and you can't resolve that blame, you just hold on to that blame. And uh and, and it's and it was a situation that happened in a church. Now it's like a nest of blame, and nobody can get out of it. Nobody is free, everybody is snared. And and the enemy is really the ultimate one who got in the camp and caused the whole mess, just like Adam and Eve. But because of the blame game, everybody's in a snarl. Nobody can get out, and nobody is willing to say, I'll let that person go. And so the cycle just keeps going round and round and round. He said, she said, he said, she said, they said, we said, why didn't they do? And and that is very destructive because how many of you know God has a plan for everybody's life and it's stopping the purpose of heaven for that person's life, whether they're no matter what role they're in in their life. And so as we look at Joseph, he continues to be in this prison. And now he interprets a couple of dreams for the butler and the baker, if you remember that story. And he says to them uh, in verse 14 of 40, but remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me, make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. He doesn't say, listen, I got a really bad deal down here. And I am so angry. He doesn't say anything about blaming. He just says, "Uh, could you just remember me when you get to Pharaoh and, and get me out of this place? Of course, you know, I'm sure the person said yes, because they were excited. They were getting out. But we know from the story that they forgot. And it says, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. But it goes on and it says, Joseph continues in the prison and Pharaoh has a dream and and God uses, you know, the remembrance of, of that uh, chief butler, and he reminds Pharaoh that there is somebody in the prison that can interpret dreams. Now, you know, some people would be so mad that they wouldn't even be able to hear from God in that, I mean, down in that prison. I mean, like, they would have totally been cut off by now, because he's been down there a long time in this prison. And I mean, he's, he's supposed to be, you know, having everybody bow down to him. I mean, what kind of what kind of dream? I imagine he was thinking they're going to bow down in the prison. Well, whoopee, you know. But but he didn't. He just continued in whatever he was in. And so he finally gets out. And when he gets to Pharaoh, I love this verse in verse 16. I believe it's the reason that Joseph had success in the midst of every trial that the enemy put in his life. It's in verse 16 of 41. Joseph, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, "It is not in me. It is not in me." He didn't take any credit, he didn't take any glory for being able to do what he was about to do. He said, "God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace." Now, the dream was going to come through him. But even after all he'd been through, he didn't say anything about, he didn't do anything to make himself be lifted up and gotten out of that, out of that prison. He said, God will do this. God is the one who has, has this answer. It's not me. Now I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart that that's a person who has made up their mind that they're not going to participate in anything the enemy brings to their door. And you know, I always think of Jesus when he said in John chapter 14, about my peace, I give to you not as the world gives. Do I give to you, but my peace? Let not your heart be troubled. And then he goes on. When the the devil's coming for me, but when he comes for me and he finds me, he'll find no place in me. Everybody say he will find no place in me. And and, and see, so I see by the word, I see by his response that that he was following after God. He was not. He was not angry. He was not wanting to play that blame game for the man that forgot him. I mean, he didn't say, well, listen, I'd have been up here a long time ago. I could have saved you a lot of trouble. I mean, I told that guy to tell you, and he never told you. There's nothing of that. And so it says in the end, in verse 37 of 41, at the end of the, the time that he finished all that dream revealing to Pharaoh, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this? A man in whom is the Spirit of God. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Pharaoh, God, if he even said, As much as God has shown you these things. And so he says, You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now, we still have these brothers who have, you know, not done him a favor. Uh, they, They sold him into bondage, and he did spend a lot of time in a prison. By the time his brothers arrive, of course, he's in this high place. But he still has the memory of all that time that he was in a prison. Uh, the Lord began to show me there are people who, even though they're prospering right now, they still can be reminded of when they were in the prison. And then they start the blame game all over again in their mind. How many of you know what goes on in your mind affects how you feel? And and before long, you're acting that out. And uh, so here come his brothers. Well, when his brothers come, and in the final uh, analysis of, they find out that that it is Joseph. And he says in verse 45 to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does your father still live? But his fathers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. I'm sure they were, you know. Oh, oh boy. Wow. This is something. And uh, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near and then he shot him. Does it say that? He had him with a pitchfork. Does it say anything like that there? You know. Like he said, aha, I got gotcha. you. Nothing. No. Uh, he said. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. I just can't imagine how this could be a calm conversation. But now, now listen. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. There's no blame here. Do not be angry with you because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, what do you think of that? And God began to speak to me, and he said, The blame game causes people to miss the opportunity for them to save and deliver what I have sent them in the earth to do. Joseph was on track to deliver and save, not just the, the people in Egypt, but his family. How many of you know some of the worst problems are in families? How many of you know the blame game can really get riled up in a family? I mean, to tell you. You know, I have to tell you this before I finish this. Pastor John, when he was little, he was so cute. And uh, and I had Matt and John and Lori. And they were five and three and, and two. And, uh, and so uh, they were always doing things, just always. But John was quiet. Matt was ornery. And Lori was just the one that they did everything to. And so... One day, I had gotten a piano, and I was so excited. It was a beautiful piano, and I had really didn't I, – I just was so excited. I, and it had a beautiful seat, and it was gold, and it was material, and it was so pretty. And uh, I went to go sit down to play the piano, and on the piano seat in big letters was John written in ink, <laughs> big letters. And I thought I was going to kill him. I was just so – it was brand new. I mean, I hardly had sat on it. So I got him. I said, John, Johnny. And so here he comes, you know. And here they, here comes Matt. Matt's always right, two steps behind him, and Lori waddling along too. And here they come. I said, John, why did you put your name on that piano bench? This is Mommy's new piano bench. Of course, he was in kindergarten. He was just practicing writing his name. You know, to him, it was a new place to write a name. I mean, it wasn't. He looked at me like, you know, but he said to me, Matt did it. Matt was three, didn't even know his name, hardly. At least he never responded much when I called it. But he was so serious. Matt did it. I said, Matt wrote your name, John, on this seat. Uh huh. And Matt's just looking like, (laughs) well, how many of you know the blame game doesn't work when you actually write your name in the sand? And, and so, you know, I mean, when, when it was so cute. And and I, I didn't ever do anything to take that off there. I just sat on that name. You know, I thought, you know, that's my son writing his name. Look how good he did it. I tried to get a grip. But, uh, you know, when when we get into the blame game, we do not allow ourselves to be forgiven. And And you have to understand that forgiveness from god is the greatest blessing that we can have repentance is the greatest gift god has given you because i repent brings the mercies of god on the scene in our lives and so as 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 he began to speak to his brothers the mercies of god begin to pour out on those brothers and and it says he goes on and says for these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five And God has sent you before, sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land. Isn't that amazing? When you really think about how that must have been over those years. Now, now the end of the story is chapter 50 and daddy dies. How many of you know? The boys may have thought, as long as Daddy's alive, we may be safe. But now Daddy died. What's he going to do? Now Daddy's dead because Daddy dies. And it, it records it in the Word of God in chapter 50. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... And they said, mm, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you. In other words, we're doing this because daddy told us this is what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of your fathers and Joseph. Wept when they spoke to him. He wept. When they asked his forgiveness for what they had done, he wept. Now that's a man who has learned to walk in the humility of God and recognize that blame is never the answer for what has happened. And in situations where I've begun to ask God, he's begun to show me that. In almost every situation where I have found blame, I have been a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Don't everybody suck air out of the room at once or we'll pass out. Truth. I had a part to play. I I mean, in some situations, people don't have a part to play. Children who are abused, they have no part to play in that. They are a victim of that situation. However, if they do not get healed... And set free and let go of that blame. They will always be a victim till the very day they die. They will be a victim. And they will never be able to be free to be who God called them to be. And this is such a good example because it goes on. It says, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. Just like the dream. Isn't that the dream he dreamed? And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Amen? Isn't that a great story? I mean, I've never looked at it in relationship to blame before. God just took me through it. But it says, now, therefore, do not be afraid I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He not only didn't get angry or blame them, but he took care of them, even though they were the reason that he initially went through all that time of being actually a captive and not being free in his life. Um, as I, as I finished this story, I was thinking, you know, and, and the Lord began to just really speak to me. Um, there is no reason for our progress to ever be stopped as a believer, ever. Because Philippians four thirteen says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our progress is stopped when we get in agreement with the enemy. And blame is definitely agreement with the enemy. Now, I want to show you, it says in Revelation uh, 12, if you could put that up, Sandy, uh, 12, 10, 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. Everybody say the accuser. Who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Then it goes on and says that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, not loving our lives unto death. If you turn to Romans chapter 8. When the accuser takes over a life, and maybe you'll know this in your own life tonight as we finish up here. When the accuser comes and he begins to accuse, condemnation comes with that accusation. Is that not true? How many of you have ever been accused and then you feel bad about yourself? You feel condemned. In the blame game, what we are doing is really condemning the other person. And putting them in a position for the enemy to attack them and putting ourselves in a position to be attacked because it goes on and it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I guess the Lord just put this in my path because I was doing that too much flesh series. And it goes on, and it says in 5, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. But to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, if I think about Joseph, I think he lived according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. He had a dream from God. God told him that his brothers would bow down, his father would bow down. And somewhere in all that, he had a revelation of what was spirit and not was what flesh. And so no matter what flesh did, no matter what happened in his flesh, he never went to his flesh. He stayed in the spirit because at the very end of the story, he said, you did not do this to me. Flesh did not do this to me. God did this. So that I would be in position when I needed to be, to be all that I was called to be. Now, that's a person who's spirit led and not flesh led. And so as I was looking at that, God began to say to me, if you get in agreement with the enemy, then you begin to operate like the enemy. And what you're doing is actually putting people under condemnation and bringing an opportunity for the enemy to take them out. Now, this is really critical in a family. This is critical between a husband and wife. This is very critical between children and parents because if we get in that position where we're in a place of blame, you know, we blame, you know, I had, I was divorced and so I had great opportunity to blame my ex-husband. How many of it's really easy to blame the person who in there, you know, Uh, or, or, you know, blame somebody who maybe was in the picture that got it all fouled up. And so you blame all those people. And then it continues to go on and blame through other situations until finally even the children are involved in the blame of what's happening. And it becomes a seed that gets in there and brings destruction. And so as I, as I, I was looking at this, God reminded me of the story in, in John where Jesus said to the children of Israel, You're of your father the devil. I mean, that's the way they responded too. Who are you to tell me I'm the father of, my de- of the devil? I mean, our father is Abraham. He said, you're not, you're not the children of Abraham because you're Israelites. Your deeds prove that you are really not. Everybody say your deeds. Your deeds prove that your real father is the devil. And, and when we get into that blame game, we submit ourselves to the devil. How many of you want to be submitted to the devil? Not me. However, isn't it easy to blame somebody? But blame is absolutely the accuser of the boyfriend. That's what he does. He blames. He, he blamed, he told Adam and Eve, you know, you don't have to believe God. I mean, he would blame anybody before he, he never took responsibility for himself. He was the father of lies, the Bible says. And so when, when I finally got to the end of this message, the Lord really began to speak to me that there is no freedom apart from where it says in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us. Everybody say cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's exactly what he did for, for Adam and Eve. It says he made them those skins to cover themselves so that death and sin could not destroy them. They were protected by that covenant. We've been protected by a covenant, but if we continue in that blame game, we have no defense. We have yielded to the father, the devil. The, the, that's his world. That's the way he lives. That's the way he's done from the beginning of time. And if we get locked into that, we will never be free, and neither will the people that we're blaming because generally somewhere in the mix they know that we're blaming them and that spirit finds Have you ever heard of like spirits? I don't have time to teach on it tonight, but familiar spirits find each other, and once they get locked into that cycle, it goes round and round and round and round, and everybody is locked up in that thing, and tonight, God has come to set us free, amen? If there's blame in your life in any area, I want to read to you in Colossians, it says in chapter one, uh, the good news is, and uh, I don't know why I just had an epiphany or whatever you call it, a revelation Sunday when I was doing the offering God just said to me, whatever I ask for, I provide for. And so tonight, if he's asking for us to stop blaming people, then he's made provision to make it happen in our lives. He's made a way for us to quit doing that. He never asked us to to not do or do that he doesn't make provision for. And this is what it says. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless. Everybody say blameless. He's done it. He does it. And above reproach in his sight, if you indeed continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The final scripture I want to leave you with is Jude. And I just say this to you tonight. If you're here, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask God to show you if you have blame, blame for anybody. And maybe you are justified to blame those people. It may be that you are in the situation you're in today. Maybe you had nothing to do with it. Maybe that it, that's what happened. But I promise you today, if you will stop blaming and release that blame, let God deal with it, that you will be set free forevermore. That person will not bother you anymore. That situation will not hinder you anymore. And the river of life that's on the inside of you will begin to flow again. When I looked down the river this week, as I went over the Wabash, over the west side, I was on my way to the park to pray. And I looked out there. There's, you can see, not just sandbars, but the grasses started growing. Have you noticed? And God said to me, many of my people not only have sandbars, where the river is supposed to be flowing, but they've got grass growing. And nothing is flowing in that place. It's a drought. It's stopped. And so it says, this is what it says in Jude. Now to him, to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, blameless, faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to god our savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forevermore